Hello everybody, Bradley here, and we are back with more Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. It is time for Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. There may be adult content in this episode. There will be spoilers for this chapter and all of Harry Potter, potentially. So if you have not read all the books or watched all the movies and do not want to be spoiled, I recommend reading and watching all of that stuff first before listening to this podcast. We would love to get your emails at letsdivedeeppod at gmail.com. Tweet at us at letsdivedeep. Make sure to join the Facebook group where you can hang out with a bunch of cool people talking about all kinds of pop culture things that is in the show notes below. We also have a Patreon account if you would like to throw a few dollars a month our way to help keep this podcast sustainable. Uh, in exchange, we'll give you early access to all the episodes, a few little bonus bits and pieces here or there. That is in the show notes for you to check out as well. There's a lot of cool people over there doing that and we appreciate it. So if you want to check that out, that would be awesome. Otherwise, let's stop faffing about at the top here and let's dive deep into Harry Potter. All right, everybody, we are here with Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. If you are listening to this, you're listening to this like a week apart, but we're recording this right after we just finished the Quidditch chapter, <laughs> which we went on for far too long about, but that is the charm of this podcast. Here's a quick recap for you. It's Christmas time, and Harry gets to have his best Christmas ever hanging out with the Weasleys. He is given an invisibility cloak that belonged to his father and uses that cloak to wander around the castle. The restricted section trip doesn't go well, but he ends up stumbling into a room with the Mirror of Erised. Using the mirror, he sees his family for the first time and shows it to Ron, who sees himself as head boy, etc. There's a lot of things going on in Ron's mirror vision. Dumbly drops in with some wisdom in capital letters, and all the while, the Weasley twins were very, very funny this entire chapter. Rachel, overall <laughs> thoughts on the mirror of Erised? Pretty affecting chapter. I Yeah, I love this chapter. I think it does a really good job of balancing you know, some really happy times and then some kind of... Uh, melancholic times i guess so i reading all of the christmas scenes just make me so joyous it's so fun so and obviously you know we get harry and dumbledore's first real one-on-one -on -one interaction so that can't be understated and it's important um yeah i just love this chapter this is i i noted it with the chapter called diagon alley i can't remember if it's four or five one of those chapters I like to mm -hmm. note these chapters. If I'm building like a list of top chapters, like top 25, mm -hmm. top 10, top five, I don't know where this is going, but this is in the conversation. I think um, actually there might be yeah. the only two chapters in this book, Diagon Alley and the Mirror of Eris that I'd put in like my all time Harry Potter chapters. If I was making, obviously depending on how far the ranking went down. Um, yeah. But this to me is just such an important chapter for Harry, for Ron, for their character development. We're getting all the tools that we're going to need and use over, like having read seven books, this cloak is important. It comes up a lot. They use it a lot. Um, the cloak mm -hmm. becomes almost like part of the trio, right? Like it's this tool that yeah. they now have. This is the first start of Dumbledore's kind of planning and scheming. Um, in retrospect, we can kind of figure out that and Harry kind of figures it out at the end of this book, but isn't sure. But in retrospect, once we get a real sense of his planning and scheming in book seven, we can now look back and go, oh, he wants Harry to have this cloak. He wants Harry to sneak around with it. He wants Harry to push himself. He wants Harry to find this mirror so that he can move it into the chamber later. And so the, when the whole Stone Voldy thing is happening, um, Harry has an, a mastery of this mirror and how it's used. And so you can kind of sense that, again, Dumbledore leaves a lot of his 
this plans up to just the chance that an 11 year old will do what you expect them to do. <laughs> but um, I think this is just such an important chapter looking back on how Dumbledore interacts with Harry and the kind of the rest of the story in terms of setting mm-hmm. Harry on a path so he can eventually, because what, what, what these seven books are, are essentially from Dumbledore's point of view. How do I get Harry from here to the point where he's going to walk in the forest kind of willing to die? Right. If you want to sum up Harry yeah. Potter from Dumbledore's point of view, that's the journey that Dumbledore's trying to get. And this is his first step in starting, like putting Harry on the path so he can walk towards the forest. And I just think that's so important kind of conceptually for these books to have it kind of work mm-hmm. at the end that I wanted to note it is like definitely an all timer chapter. Yeah. And just just a question. If you had to rename the series from Dumbledore's perspective, what would you call this book? Oh man. <laughs> I've seen this on like I've seen this on like Reddit, like renaming yeah. renaming Harry Potter from Hermione's perspective, like the two idiots. <laughs> like, it's just the two idiots and like blank happens and it's really funny. From Dumbledore's yeah. perspective. Oh man. This I man, you're just putting up so many good bonus content ideas that if I had time to think about them, I probably could come up with something. I don't know off the top yeah. of my head. There there I mean, there's Dumbledore gotta be something in there. About like, because there's just a lot of ineptitude in these books. Yeah. Like, like surely Dumbledore at the end of this book goes, "Man, did I really have to hire Quirrell?" But again, maybe that's part of the plan. Maybe, maybe, maybe Dumbledore's like, you know, if I bring half of Voldemort into this, it'll teach Harry. Like, it'll get him on the journey. You know? Oh. Yeah. I wonder how he would view this book as from a success failure perspective. Oh man, let's talk about at the end of the book. I think that's a great end of the book recap question because I think what's going to happen, I suspect, is that at the end of the book, we'll want to do like a, here's our overview of the book, how we felt about it, rereading it, how we feel about it as adults versus kids. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that'll be important going into whenever we end up doing the movie podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So we can have like a one-to-one book-to-movie podcast comparable so that people don't have to listen to, you know, 10, what, 18 hours <laughs> of content if they just want to know how we felt about Because, like, in the future, people will jump into this podcast and maybe they are jumping in when we're on book four. And, like, I don't want to, I don't want to watch or listen to 18 hours of book one, but I do want to know how they felt about it because it informs the, you know what I mean? So I imagine mm-hmm. that that'll be a thing. I think saving that for there is probably best. Yeah, you've got the good ideas. <laughs> I just listen to a lot of podcasts and I really appreciate shows about TV shows that do season recaps so that I can jump oh, yeah. right in. So like I just I I I've started watching Stranger Things this year and they're on mm-hmm. season what four or five this year. I think it was four. It's four this four. year. And so I just jumped into a Stranger Thing podcast that I really liked that was doing episode by episode breakdowns, but they had season recap episodes. So I in three episodes I got to figure out, oh, how, how are these guys liking the show so far? What do they think of everyone without having to catch up and listen to 35 hours of yeah. content, right? So I just find those helpful as a podcast listener. And so mm-hmm. I think that those are probably something I'm keen on doing at the end. Nice. Perfect. Uh, oh, what in a shocker. Holy smokes. Neither of us fired a professor in this chapter. Yeah. Holy smokes. This is the first time that's happened in a while. I think it's helpful in the first four or five chapters. There are no professors. Yeah, I think yeah. I think in every chapter, there's been a lot of professors. We fired them. So this is the first one where both of us noted that Hagrid's drinking is questionable um although like yeah i think everyone was drinking yeah i think i I, i'm trying to think like i mean it was questionable just as i was reading it i noted this down really quick just because like i work with kids and absolutely are not allowed to drink at all to to Mm -hmm. to be able to 
work with kids effectively. Uh, I think yeah. legally you'll probably be in a lot of trouble too, but that's a separate thing. Right. Mm. And so like, we just have so many, like absolutely no drinking rules. And like, I yeah. live where I work. So it's kind of the same as being at a boarding school. However, thinking mm. about it, like it's the nineties and these teacher are, these teachers are still on vacation as well. And you made a really good yeah. point in your notes about having like a designated, you know, <laughs> kind of like the designated driver, the designated professor. Yeah. It's not drinking. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I came around to, I said no at the time, but I've come around to it a little bit more that this probably isn't even that inappropriate. Yeah, because I, I used to work at a summer camp, too, and after the kids were supposed to have gone to bed, the counselors could do whatever they want, except for, I think we had, like, four counselors who were on night duty, and they had to stay around the cabins and make sure there were no shenanigans. So my bed is just that, like, Snape got the short end of the stick on, on Christmas Day, and he wasn't allowed to drink because he was on night duty. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, do you imagine he like, okay, here's a side question. Man, so much bonus episode content, but just real quick. Do you think Snape is the kind of person that that almost pretends to hate things as part of his image? Because would Snape hate that? Like, I think Snape actually loves going around at night and like busting students and taking points from Gryffindor. I think he'd pretend to hate it, but I don't think he'd actually hate it. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think he like likes like putting the sticks to, to students who are misbehaving. Although I don't get the impression he's just, like, a constantly miserable person. Like, maybe he would have, like, had a few butterbeers and put on a bonnet with Dumbledore. Who knows? Man, that's a fanfic you can also write and send in. Just Snape, <laughs> Snape and Dumbledore having a few butterbeers. Send that to letsdivedeeppod at gmail.com ASAP. All right, what is your alternative chapter title for uh, The Mirror of Erised? Okay, so I, I took a page from your book on this one. Oh, yeah, I, we, I didn't see yours at the time. Ours are very similar. <laughs> yeah, but I went with, I tried to think of something else because they are so similar, but I couldn't get this one out of my head. I went with A Very Hairy Christmas. <laughs> oh, you're just good with a pun. <laughs> For those of you who don't know Rachel, so I, I, I've known Rachel since pre-talking about Harry Potter on a podcast, and Rachel's <laughs> just good with a pun. Like, that's just Rachel's thing, so that's good. I love yeah, that. I've got, a, I've got a good one later. Please remind me. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, I went with The Best Christmas to take a page. I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I took a page from the uh, the chapter in book two called The Worst Birthday. But I just uh, thought if we're allowed to have The Worst Birthday as a chapter title, we're allowed to have The Best Christmas. Like, I just felt like that was it with, yeah. within the, the envelope of options available to me to make a realistic chapter title. So The Best Christmas it is. It's, it's, I just love Christmas. Christmas is great. Yeah. And it, and it is the best Christmas. It's the best Christmas he's ever had. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Start off the chapter. This is the original Winter is Coming for you Game yeah. of Thrones heads out there. Uh, I can't remember what the line is, but I think it's like literally Christmas was on the way or something. And I was yeah. like, ooh, or like winter is on the, I'm sorry, like, ooh, winter is coming. It just immediately Game of Thronesified my brain, especially because House mm -hmm. of the Dragon is on right now and I'm just in that mindset. So I was like, yes, a Game of Thrones nod. Or I guess I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I was so burned by the season eight finale. I, I don't All know right. if I can I'm do gonna it. Say, I'm going to say this to you. And I'm going to say this to everyone listening. If you have not watched House of the Dragon yet, the, mm -hmm. at least the pilot. I haven't watched episode two yet because my internet was out last night, which is very sad. Um, I have no notes. I loved it. I thought it was incredible. Um, I'm not someone who likes pilot episodes. Um, I, I was also very burned at the end of Game of Thrones, but I... The second I started the show, I forgot how much I missed it and how mm. I think 
I think I just at the time felt a little bit, I, I felt retroactively like I probably shouldn't have felt as bad at the end of Game of Thrones. Cause once I got back into the world, all new characters and everything, but there's so many yeah. familiar things that I was just like, I forgot how much I loved being here. I forgot how much I loved this style of storytelling. I forgot how much I loved this universe and, and kind of being mm-hmm. in it the same way. I don't really like the star Wars prequels, but every time they're on, I watch them. Cause I just love being in that universe. The house mm-hmm. of the dragon does that to a T where it just, it's like, okay. Hey, Hey, you remember what it was like to be here? Yeah, you do. Come on in. And it just takes you on a journey yeah. that I thought was exceptional. So it's only one okay. episode. The show could still be bad, but they couldn't <laughs> have made they couldn't have made a better first episode for my enjoyment of the show coming off of Game of Thrones. Okay. Well, when we record the next one, I will probably have watched it and I'll let you know if I agree. Right. And we'll talk about it all before the podcast like we did with Bridgerton today so the audience yeah. gets to, the audience gets to hear me sell the show but never gets to hear how we feel about it the payoff <laughs> the payoff <laughs> sorry audience that's just how my editing of these podcasts works winter is coming and the weasleys are chucking snowballs at the back of Voldemort's head or i guess at the back of Quirrell's head Voldemort's face which i just think in <laughs> like you just know JK thought she was so clever and it's just very clever and i love it coming back to this chapter yeah. in hindsight is just incredible such a funny so fun from the Weasley twins. Yeah, I just I just thought it it's it's just a nice little nod and it's it's just funny. It's funny looking back. It's funny when it happens because they're throwing snowballs at a teacher. It's even funnier in hindsight. So I just appreciated that. <laughs> I didn't even thought about girls not even getting <laughs> mad at them. Like, like <laughs> surely you can dock like five points a snowball. Like I'm positive that you're not allowed to throw snowballs at oh, teachers' heads. But- but maybe because they were charming them, uh, he was out of range. He couldn't reach them. <laughs> he was out of range! Right, right, right. Oh my goodness, I forgot about the range. Yeah, he couldn't deduct points. They were they were yeah, out of range. That's, that's funny. That's so good. I'm just so glad that that's now a thing that exists in, yeah. this, in this universe of Harry Potter, that we've decided that there's a range. Yeah. By which you, oh, so good. <laughs> um, I have a couple notes about magic. I just like pointing these out when the magic doesn't make any sense to me. Um, okay. We have a lot of notes about room temperatures being weird. And I get that they heat everything with yeah. like candles and fire, but like, can't we use magic to like insulate the windows or whatever, like, or help Hagrid. This is, this is worse in the movies. Like in the movies, Hagrid drags that tree in puts it up. And then Flitwick puts all the decorations on it with a wand. Like can no one Accio yeah. the Christmas tree? Like, what are we doing? There's, there's yeah. some gaps here in what magic can and can't do for sure. Someone help him. But yeah, I, I thought it was really weird that they didn't have like any sort of like temperature regulation charm that like keeps the hot air inside. Right. Like, but you also know they can make fight. Like why? I'm just confused. I'm just confused why the rooms can't be just made to the right temperature. Like in the dungeons, just put more candles in there. So you can yeah. light the candles with your wands. You don't need to like bring a light. You're not like getting a matchstick. You don't have to climb to the top of the chandelier to change the candles. You right. just move them up there with a wand. I don't know. I'm confused. Yeah, it doesn't seem like an efficient use of... Because you're just burning fire in one room, and then it it heats one room for a bit, and then it's done. Like, you could just magic it yeah. to go forever. This is the first time in this book where I've been like, magic just isn't making sense for what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> Such a little detail, but it bothers me, because I have been cold in school before, and it's miserable. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot what that was like to be like. It's always like when you're in a portable or something and it's too hot. Yeah. And you're like, what is going on? Why are we yeah. doing this? Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> the memories. All right. Malfoy yeah. 
uh, comes in, and the, you know what? It's mean. What he says is mean, but for this, he's on a streak in this book of having burns yeah. that are far too good for an 11 year old. He says something to Harry. I should have written this down. Something to Harry, like, hey, Christmas would be awesome if you had a family. <laughs> it's like, cool. Yeah. Right? And it's so mean, but it also, I put him on it, sets up the mirror of Erised really well. It's very cleverly mm-hmm. done to include that joke at the, I guess it's not really, like, it's more of a jape. Right, but include that bit of bullying at the beginning of the chapter because it just reminds us about Harry not having a family. So when we get to the mirror of Erised and that's what he's seeing, it's on the front of our brains. So just another moment, just very clever writing that just you don't notice it until you reread or whatever, but just great stuff. Yeah. I feel like this these books make me frustrated with Draco because I think in the later books you could make an argument that he really gets the short end of the stick. He doesn't really deserve a lot of the crap that happens to him. But he's really making that argument hard for me with comments like this. Yeah. Like, and so mean. Right. Yeah, he's just... I think it works, though. Like, I think 11-year-olds are pretty one-dimensional. Right? I'm trying yeah. to remember back when I was... You kind of are... what You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like developing nuance and feelings and empathy and stuff uh, happens at different times for everyone to different degrees. But I think it's an ongoing process that has not stopped at 11. Like, I think you're still pretty... Yeah. Like, in your, like, I hate Harry, I'm going to bully him. And so I think yeah. he just rolls with that. So yeah. In this case, he's very good at it. Way too good at it. He's like those precocious children in movies. Yeah. You know, like, when movies have a young star and the child is always, like, way too wise. And you're like, where did you come from? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this whole thing with Draco, he's just very, he's too good at being a bully for an 11-year-old. Because you imagine him on, like, he only gets to bully people at school, right? So, Mm -hmm. like, he's just new in his bullying career, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm sure he's seen his dad bully people, but, like, at Malfoy Manor for the first 10 years of his life, who is he bullying? The house elves? Like, probably them. Dobby. Yeah, it would be Dobby, but, like, he's, but his burns are usually so specific to Harry that it's, like, He's not going around calling everyone orphans. It's just Harry. So he thinks this up just for Harry. Right. The next note I have, and <laughs> I'm not surprised <laughs> I've done this, but I have done okay. it. I put in my notes, Snape is a dickhead, but I can't remember why. Do you remember what Snape did here? <laughs> Snape did oh, something yeah. here, and I wrote it in my notes, and I cannot remember what he did. All right, let me find it. I remember it too. Oh, uh, audience, I'm sorry. I oh, to... you know what? I remember. Um, Hagrid was pulling the tree, and um, Malfoy made a comment about how... Oh, about how Hagrid's hut would seem like a really big house to Ron, given that his family is so poor and they probably live in a smaller house. So Ron jumps at Malfoy to, like, give him a smack. And Snape finds them, and Hagrid says... Malfoy inf- uh, insulted Ron's family and so Ron right, yeah. Malfoy and Snape takes I think five points only from Ron yeah he does say nevertheless you know fighting's against Hogwarts rules which no one cared yeah. about when you know, Harry was almost murdered last chapter so yeah. <laughs> what, whatever, oh, Sna- <laughs> whatever Snape I, I stick with my comment that I made um, yeah yeah I love this next section where they're trying to trick Hagrid into telling them uh, the deets about Nicholas Famella, whatever, because they're doing it like, yeah. but Hagrid, if you do, like, we, like, they're kind of like, look, we all know you're going to accidentally tell us anyway, because you can't <laughs> keep a secret. So, like, we could go through all this effort and hundreds of hours and thousands of books, 
or you could just tell us now because we all know you're going to do it anyway. And I just love that <laughs> that style of negotiation with him. I just thought was so funny. Yeah, and it it just reminds me of being a kid. It's like, oh, mom, can I have like ice cream after dinner? And she's like, well, not no, because for whatever reason, the answer was no. I'm like, well, we all know I'm going to ask you until you say yes. And oof. Right. If you just say yes now, <laughs> so saves you from a lot of being annoyed later, mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next but, up, we yeah. we head to the library where they are going to look up Nicholas Flamel. And, you know, Hermione's going to give their last instructions before she heads on Christmas holidays. Um, and mm -hmm. Madam Pince, for whatever reason, again, is dusting with her hands. Why are we not using wands? Can magic not dust things? I am confused. Yeah, I, I don't. I think some of like the non-magical positions at the school maybe don't require the most ma magical aptitude. Maybe she's just bored. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if I dust this with a wand, I'll get it done too quickly. I've done that before where you have a job that you're doing that's not the worst job. It's, you don't enjoy it, but it, well, you know once you're finished, the next job is worse. So you make yeah. that one take as long as possible yeah. to avoid. Like Hopefully the next one will get given to someone else. I've done that before. So maybe that's what Madam Pence is yeah. doing. Like I also love that. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was gonna say after dusting, like maybe it's like cleaning the floors or whatever. And she's like, if I hold off here, maybe Filch will end up cleaning the floors if I take long enough dusting. Yeah, yeah. He only has a whole castle to take care of, but maybe he'll get to this. Right. <laughs> uh, I love that Hermione got the boys to go to the library because it was related to Voldemort. Like I think maybe if she related every single school lesson to Voldemort, they'd be like A students. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, I mean, she, again, she's 11. She has to refine her technique. Um, yeah. To be fair to Hermione, the, the guys end up doing all right on the owls. Like, by the, end do, of, yeah. by the end of book five, things end up going okay for them. Yeah, she's whipped them into shape. Yeah, it's not perfect, but she, she refines the technique over time. Uh, mm -hmm. Ron, Ron tells Hermione... <laughs> <laughs> to ask her parents about Nicholas Flamel. It'll be very safe. And then Hermione says, very safe as they're both dentists. I was like, yep, that's funny. <laughs> Good shit, Hermione. Get out of here, Ron, you idiot. Come on. Yeah. Come on, Ron. What are we doing? Although, okay, question. Why isn't Nicholas Flamel in any of the books? Because You'd think that alchemy would relate to... I, I put it down to two, two areas of magic. Either potions or transfiguration. I figure alchemy would relate very strongly to either of those two subjects. And so it's odd to me that in all of this, he wouldn't be mentioned at all. Because he's supposed to... like He's, he's basically, like, in terms of our modern understanding of alchemy, one of the biggest names. I so, feel like I had thought about this before and had a good answer, and I'm now just forgetting <laughs> what that answer is. My problem with it is that he's still alive, which yeah. should make him really relevant. I think if he had been dead, like if he, like if this was a situation where he he ended up being 600 years older, however he is, but he had died a long yeah. time ago. Like there are lots of historical figures from 600 years ago that did a lot of great things that I just don't know about. I think my two problems with this, and you're right, is that A, he's still alive. So he should be mm -hmm. very relevant. And also, there's like a thousand wizards. Like there's not a lot of them. Yeah, so, it's not a big community. <laughs> so like, yeah, it's not, a, it's not like there are like in the, it's not like there's seven billion of them where it's like people wouldn't notice the great accomplishments of any other one wizard. Like there's mm -hmm. only like, the, the population of wizards is really small 
And so someone this um, popular had done something this cool or this important should be um, more relevant just because yeah. of the lower total amount of wizards. Yeah, like maybe because alchemy is like a it's like a sciencey kind of magic. Maybe it's not as like in the vogue, so they don't teach it. It just, I don't know it just if, seemed odd to me. Because even in the wizarding world, it's odd for someone to be six hundred years old. Like I think if there was a person mm -hmm. on the planet, even with magic, that was like, "Hey, I've been able to make something called the elixir of life, and it keeps me alive forever." I think that would yeah. be a big deal. Oh yeah, people would know. Right, and you'd have like all these things, like you know how like uh, old people, like once you're retired, you go to the same restaurant and sit in the same booth every single day. He's been doing that for four hundred years, right? Yeah. Like this is a man. Like you have his local, his local diner has his booth. Like they would know who he is. Like I just think that there's being alive for six hundred years and still being alive at the time the story's being told makes you a little more relevant. Yeah, and like even like Snape when he says it's like you can even put a stopper in death. I'm like he's been doing that for six hundred years. Yeah, that's nobody what I noticed. Mean. Yeah, Snape is an idiot. Yeah, this book is a lie. You're right. I never thought about that. But come on, Snape. Yeah. It's called well, the elixir just... of life. It's not even ambiguous. Like, come on. You know exactly what it does. Yeah. Oh, man. Ron and Harry, I, in the next couple of sentences or paragraphs or whatever, I, I just want to shout out the twins. They're having a good time. You know, they have the Gredden Forge line later. It's hilarious. I don't know how much we'll end up mm -hmm. talking about them, so just want to give them a quick shout out here. Uh, I put Ron and Harry are living like they're in the movie Home Alone, but there's no burglary around to happen. They just get to have fun with it all. They're getting the yeah. they're getting the chairs near the fireplace. They're getting the dormitory to themselves. They can do whatever they want. They're just living the dream. Yeah, and I, I like and I had forgotten actually that Fred and George and Percy also stayed. For some reason, I thought it was Percy's just Percy's cameo later is iconic. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, and so they're just like taking up the whole room, and then the the siblings come in and they're like, "What are you guys doing? <laughs> like you're just fucking around." Yeah, yeah. It's clear these are just two eleven year olds who've never had like an entire castle to themselves before. Yeah, because I would be I the exact same way. I'd be jumping on all the. I just imagine this in the movie, like you're jumping on all the beds, you're running around everywhere, yeah. you're sitting at the bench. Like I remember in school, we had like in assemblies, you got like the the higher the grade you were in, the cooler the benches you got. I'd be sitting oh, on like yeah. the grade six bench, but I'm in grade one, so like I would, <laughs> right. So I imagine that's how I would act. Yeah, I love that they have the whole castle to themselves though, and they decide to play wizard chess. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're nerds look i think i think you and i currently on a discord call recording a podcast about harry potter for two hours in our evening are not allowed to judge <laughs> these two true. for playing chess like, i think i think i think if anyone else i guess anyone listening to this podcast is also disqualified i think that's the problem is that anyone who has read this book enough to call out this completely correct take that they should use their time to not play chess is too nerdy to have an opinion. Although maybe wizard's chess is funnier than regular chess because I had forgotten that the pieces are supposed to talk. Which brings me back to like the announcer at Quidditch. Like this must <laughs> like shouting out where the secret is. Like how annoyed would you? I play a lot of chess. I'm not good at it, but I play a lot of it. I got I got gifted a uh, chess.com premium membership by someone on Twitch and oh, I no. yeah, and I use it. 
And <laughs> how annoyed would you be if you like move your bishop for like a cool play in 10 turns or whatever? And then the other pieces on the board just go, yo, just put the pawn there and block the attack. It's like, well, what the heck? Like, like, come on, dude, we're being sneaky here. Yeah, like I think if the pieces tell you how they're used, that's appropriate. But giving you strategy tips doesn't work in a game where that ruins the other player's plan as well. Yeah. Because then it ends up being a game where the pieces are playing each other. Mm-hmm. Although I do like that they, like, they can refuse to listen to you. That's so funny. That's what me? I mean. That's the pieces playing each other because you don't yeah, have... Like, you have to follow to. what they tell you. But also, like, you can't let the chess pieces, you can't let the prisoners run the prison. They're never going to put themselves in danger. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> have you seen the movie? Like, getting hit... Like, if you get hit with the queen, she's, like, taking a mace to your forehead. She's not knocking yeah. you over. Like, it's crazy. It's gentle. You get... It's I not, yeah, it hurts. I don't want to... I wouldn't put myself in danger. Like, if I was a sentient chess piece on this board, I am not moving myself into danger, even if it's good strategy. Yeah, I wonder if they start to, like, have rivalries. I wonder if they talk to each other. <laughs> like, if Ron and Harry play each other a lot... Do their pieces start to recognize each other? And it's like, <laughs> don't put me near that bishop. He talks so loudly and I won't have it. Yeah, yeah. The rook went to a family reunion last week and he has a crazy uncle and he won't shut up about it. It's like, I can't be near him. <laughs> I'm not we, doing it. We don't get along. Uh, <laughs> man, so good. I'm glad we went on this chess tangent. I love wizard chess. <laughs> wizard chess is wild. It's Is it worse than... no? It might be worse than Quidditch in my estimation. Like having the pieces play each other is crazy. I think um, maybe we'd see less of it if it weren't two children playing. Like maybe, and you could also, I'm really on a tangent here, but you could probably build relationships with your pieces. Like you could probably like <laughs> pull them in a huddle before the game and you're like, listen guys, we're going with the Sicilian. Like, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna run the London defense. Uh, Jim, yeah. the, Jim the Bishop, you are going to get taken out here. It's going to hurt, but you're sacrificing for the team. Yeah, we're going to win for you, Jim. We got it. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm going to imagine that as my headcanon on how Wizard Chess is. Like you end up huddling up like it's a football game. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Okay. Uh, after the Wizard Chess, uh, there, are, there are lots of presents that... I don't know if it's after or before, but there are lots of presents that are happening. Ron mm -hmm. says, what were you expecting, turnips? Great line. I just have a note about one of the presents. Hagrid. Okay. A yeah. man who knows that these three children are going mm -hmm. to find his dog, who knows mm -hmm. that the way to get past the dog is via music, gives Harry a flute. This guy, I just <laughs> want to put this out here for when... I don't remember if he uses the flute at all. And the movie, I think it's a harp. So I don't actually yeah. know if this actual flute ends up being the musical instrument that gets used. I'm only on my 103 read. I don't, I don't remember the details. <laughs> but... This is, a, like, insane behavior from Hagrid. I have full respect for Fleur calling him out as the person who yeah. probably snitched in book seven, because this is absurd. I like to imagine that this is his passive-aggressive way of giving in to their bothering from earlier. He's like, these pieces of shit want a hint. I'll give them a hint. I imagine, <laughs> I imagine what actually happened is it's not even from Hagrid at all. It's from Dumbledore as part of, like, the plan. Like, he needs them to be able uh... to get into the into the room with the mirror and Coral and all that. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, I know what Hagrid would do. Hagrid would give them a flute. So I'm just going to pretend that it's Hagrid. 
or yeah, or but... Dumbledore talked like Dumbledore gave the. But I guess they say it's clear that Hagrid carved the flute. I don't know. I'm gonna yeah. imagine that Dumbledore is behind this because the only way in my head this makes sense. Yeah, I. I, I just thought it was nice that Hagrid like literally made him something that completely flew over my head when I first read it. Yeah, you're you're like the gesture is really nice. I imagine Dumbledore was whispering. Like, I just imagine like you're just walking. You know, you're making Hagrid drag this tree in for no reason instead of using magic. You're like, hey, Hagrid, well, I got yeah. you moving this giant tree for no reason. I just don't know if you thought about Harry's Christmas present yet, but I think a, a hand carved flute would be great. You know how I... <laughs> specific. Right? And then I think Dumbledore just walks off and Hagrid's like, well, that's my present done. Don't need to think about it. Yeah. Although, this is the second time you've mentioned it, though, and I have questions. Do you think Dumbledore actually wanted them to go in? Because I don't know that he did. I don't know that he did either. But, like, there is, like, Harry, Harry kind of, Harry kind of realizes this in the book later, but mm -hmm. can't confirm it. That he's like, he says something about like, he thinks it's his, he thinks Dumbledore knows that if Harry has the chance to fight Voldemort, he ought to give it to him. He kind of goes on this mm -hmm. thing where he thinks Dumbledore gave him the cloak so that he could sneak around and find the mirror. It's, I don't think it's a situation where it went down exactly as Dumbledore had planned. Okay. Right. But I think that the general idea was still correct. I imagine a situation where, um, where Dumbledore kind of needs Harry to confront Quirrell and needs him to know how the mirror works, but, like, it goes differently in his head, and it doesn't... Like, you know what I mean? Like, I imagine that, like, yeah. the outcome ended up working out, but the path to get there was different. But like, there's definitely some yeah. Dumbledore planning shenanigans going on. Yeah. I wonder how long the Philosopher's Stone would have stayed in the mirror if Harry hadn't gotten it. Yeah. I mean, I have so many questions about how that magic works in in mm. the uh, <laughs> in the last chapter of this book. So, yeah. so we'll get there when we get there. But yeah, you're yeah, I don't know how the I don't know how I don't know how you store an object in the mirror. I don't know how like I don't know how the mirror senses your cuz like as we know it here, it just shows you what your heart's desire is. I don't know how mm. it senses your intentions at all. Like this mirror yeah. can also decide whether you're a good goody or a baddie. And I guess it's yeah. pretty easy. It's like, oh, that guy's actually Voldemort. So give it to the other person. It doesn't matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't hold up. It, it plays really well in the books, but I don't know that if it holds up if we look too closely at it. Better not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But, like, that's what's... It's, this is the podcast, I think, though. Yeah. It's just us just <laughs> memeing about all the things in Harry Potter. Like, oh, this is a kid's book um ron yeah. okay i just want to shout out molly weasley we haven't really met her that much yet other than before the hogwarts express absolute champ hand i guess either hand or wand knitting either way knitting sweaters for everyone harry gets a sweater ron yeah. not liking sweaters shares the same trajectory as me not liking socks for a present when i dumbledore yeah. even says it in this like when i was i guess my favorite present is actually towels like i never have enough oh. towels i don't know why but towels. just not having to buy a towel is great Right, yeah. but like when I was eleven, if you gave me a towel, I'd be like, "What on earth are you thinking? This is a terrible gift." Now that I'm twenty-seven, mm -hmm. getting a towel is the best possible gift. It's ten, but don't spend. Yeah. If you have a hundred dollars to spend on my present, get me ten towels. Yeah, and because like, when you buy a towel for yourself, you're like, "This will do." But I feel like if you're buying a towel as a present for someone, you're gonna get them a nice. All towel. Right, buy me four twenty-five dollar towels. Yeah, so present towels automatically better than self-bought towels yeah same as socks when you're 11 getting a sweater or socks or whatever sucks 
especially if you get the mm-hmm. same one every single year. Um, yeah. It reminds me, every time I read this, I'm reminded, have you watched Dead Poet Society? I have not. Okay, well, anyways, in this in this um, movie, I won't spoil any main things, but one of the characters gets the same Christmas present two Christmases in a row, and he just chucks it off like a, <laughs> like a, a mezzanine of his school, and it just smashes on the ground. And he's like, I don't even think my dad knows, like, whatever. And so I just imagine ron like having a pile of sweaters in a varying sizes like some of them don't fit mm. but some of them still kind of fit but they're all the exact same they're always maroon yeah. which is too close like they're like how do you hate maroon like, like <laughs> how do you hate maroon it's so close to like the scarlet of gryffindor colors anyway gryffindor, yeah i don't know it's weird to hate maroon but not hate the scarlet gryffindor color they're similar yeah yeah looking back that doesn't check out but maybe maybe he's more just like come on mom like I look great in blue. I literally just Googled maroon versus scarlet to get like a side by side. And they're like, not the same. But if, if you put the Gryffindor crest on either of those colors, I would believe it was the Gryffindor color. Yeah. But, yeah. I think we, we are, we see a lot of Gryffindors like in that darker burgundy red as opposed yeah, to burgundy's like in that trio of colors that are technically different, but very similar. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it's a little silly that he doesn't like it so much, but he loves the Gryffindor colors. Maybe yeah. it's just the fact that it's the same same every year. That's probably it. Um, we get Fred and George going around being hilarious, which is just what they do. Harry gets his invisibility cloak. He gets a cool note. He doesn't know who it's from. I just want to shout out here that A, as a kid, this is cool. Now Harry's a superhero. Like, if you ask a child, like, what superpower do you want? You're going to get flying. I do, This is a weekly conversation I have with various like six to eight year olds. You're going to get mm-hmm. flying. You're going to get invisibility. You're going to get the ability to eat as much dessert as you can. Like there's a lot of like <laughs> those types of things. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. so invisibility, top five pick of children for superheroes. And I can confirm that as of 2022. So yeah. all of a sudden Harry becomes a superhero, which is crazy. But also the fact that he learns... He can't even confirm it, but he kind of intuitively knows that this belonged to his dad and he doesn't want to quite share it yet, either in the Mm -hmm. moment or when he takes that first trip. I just thought it was very sweet and emotional and and cool. Yeah. Uh, It's such a big moment, too, because you're right. The invisibility cloak does become like part of the trio. So much of what they do wouldn't be possible without it. So it's really important that he gets it now and yeah i i I just i love that scene in the movie too where he puts it around his body and his head's just floating yeah there's no way just going back to the dumbledore point because i think it's interesting for us to track there's no way dumbledore gives this overpowered superhero item to an 11 year old if he doesn't intend on harry using it for some sort of plan you know what i mean because like, yeah. harry doesn't know it exists so you could just not give it to him like if you mm-hmm. if you do this in year seven and be like hey harry here's like same christmas present hey i found this object i believe it belonged to your father or you know what i mean like it, you can just change what mm-hmm. the note says like it doesn't matter what's true or not like dumbledore could do this at any point in time i'm 100 sure dumbledore is not giving this cloak back out of a sense of like guilt because he has it it's like very strategic and so i i think this is part of the plan yeah i think so too i do want to give a quick shout out to uncle vernon and petunia for sending harry 50 pence yeah i think i don't know how deep you are into the lore and i can't actually remember 
Isn't mm-hmm. them sending a gift every Christmas and him returning home every summer like part of what keeps the charm alive? Like I think they have to send him a gift every Christmas, which is why he gets the fifty pence or like a feather or whatever it is he gets in future books. Like I think this is part of that charm. I don't. I don't remember. Going home is definitely part of the charm. Absolutely, I don't know that's what the, the key Christmas part. Present is Harry getting a Christmas present. But, part but it's of... almost like it's like vindictive enough that it's still mean that they sent it at all. Yeah, I think I think this is part of the charm. Okay. Oh, I could be wrong. I could be so wrong, and there's gonna be a lot of Potterheads in the emails being like, "You are an idiot." I'm gonna stick to my claim that I think somewhere in these books or the lore, it is actually important for him to receive a Christmas gift for okay. the whatever the charm's called that keeps the house protected. Okay. Well, how about we phrase it this way? You're not wrong. You're just open to being educated. <laughs> right. I think the I think the problem is I'm coming out hot with a statement. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you're right. I didn't I didn't open this with I could be wrong, but who knows? But yeah. I think it's I think I think that's why. I don't think it's vindictive. I think it is I think Dumbledore sends him like a letter or something being like, Hey, you have to send Harry a Christmas yeah. present, so they send the worst object possible. Also, yeah. in like nineteen ninety seven, fifty pence will get you like a Slurpee or something. That's true. It's yeah, not it nothing. Like it's a user. Like he has a feather in later books, and so. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> right. Like I think we could make a quill out of it, maybe if he's resourceful. Right. Yeah. 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 And then you have Malfoy being like Harry Potter using a Muggle feather for a quill. <laughs> right. Like you Are just there get divisions up... of magical birds and non-magical. Absolutely. Birds? I think. I think. Um. I think. Um. Malfoy's quills are. Uh, either part of the same people, part of the same company making all the cloaks and stuff, the stonks are rising, or they're just from the <laughs> swan at Malfoy Manor. Like that white, whatever the uh, white swan animal is. I think he's getting magical feathers. Fancy quills. Magical quills, yeah. Uh, okay, last side note on the 50 pence and then I'll drop it. <laughs> I, I love that Ron has like the gall to critique the pence. He's like, what is this money? It's such a weird shape. What does it even do? I'm like, boy, your money is just stacks of gold in in amounts that make no sense. And you're going to come here for the very sensically divided 50 pence? How dare you? Yeah, British money's great. British money, so I mean, sense. I mean, it works the same as Canadian money. It's fantastic. Yeah. American money is also great, but just like weird because it's still like, it's like the, it's just it's lame. It's the same color. It's not colorful. Yeah, Australian yeah. Australian money has been my favorite anywhere in the world. All the bills mm-hmm. are shaped and like sized differently depending on their amount as well. Um, oh. So for me, this didn't mean a lot at the time. I was like, why did this happen? But I had someone from Australia um, explain to me how great that is for accessibility for blind people to be able yeah. to spend money. I was like, you know what? A plus, great job. Uh, I immediately was like, this is awesome. And so I just, Australian money gets my pick for the best money that I've interacted with. Mm. Um, British yeah, money's up there. It's British, good. yeah, it's a tie for me between British and Canadian, but I think they they're relatively similar. Yeah, wizard money is the worst. There's nuts and there's sickles <laughs> and there's the twenty seven nuts to a knuckle or something You're like this. <laughs> this sucks. I hate this. Right, it and then later, sense. so like later in the, I'm, I'm not dropping this. I'm continuing. <laughs> I'm continuing. Later in these books, in book four, before the uh, the World Cup, 
Um, Arthur Weasley goes to spend muggle money and can't like divide by 10 like a normal person, but fully understands this nuts to sickles system. There's 13 sickles in a nut and like, 27 nuts in a galley. And you're like, what? How do you do that math without a problem and not be able to read numbers on money? It's the same system, but with easier math. I don't get it. It's yeah. Well, they shouldn't have made arithmancy um, optional. Optional, right? Everyone needs to take math, dude. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, arithmancy needs to be. Yeah, Ar- Arthur's always so funny with the like the what is the purpose of a rubber duck? And I'm like, I don't know if you want to know, Arthur. It's pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, the electricity is so good that he like. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I'm going to save an Arthur Weasley rant for another episode when he's actually in the chapter we're talking about, but <laughs> he is he's a wild person. All right. Harry uses his invisibility cloak twice. The first, in, This is twice in the same evening. Uh, the first time he goes to the uh, library, he's going to go into the restricted section, and then he's going to get the books that uh, he wants to read about mm-hmm. Nicholas Flamel. There's two problems with this plan. The first uh, is the books know that he's not meant to have them, even if he's invisible. Fair enough. I imagine the books know when they're being checked out and who mm-hmm. approved the checkout. That that makes sense for me magically. It's just like, if we can do that with magic, can we not dust the shelves? But whatever. Can we and, not warm the castle? <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> so like this makes sense magically to me, but yeah. it doesn't check out with everything else. The next part of his plan that is dumb in the books, it's even dumber when you get to see it in the movie, he's just holding a lamp outside this cloak, which just yeah. means anyone who could have seen him anyway will also see this floating lamp and be like, huh, that's strange. So he's not any more invisible than he would have been. In fact, he would have been better off without the cloak because he's not holding a giant light to attract attention. He, This plan yeah. to the library would have been better without the cloak is my take for this trip. I guess so, yeah, because there's, what, like, 12 students at the school? Like, they're not seriously expecting anyone. Right, and and the security on the restricted section, it's not like you have to be approved to enter it. The books know who's checked them out. So it doesn't matter. Like, I don't think yeah. that they have a posted security guy. The books will just start screaming. And yeah, so, yeah, I think... Books, the books have it. The books have it handled. Yeah, I think that Harry miscalculates his ability to get into the restricted se- restricted section. I think he could have done yeah. everything that he does here more effectively without the cloak than with it, which I think is part of the charm of an 11-year-old learning how to use this object, is that the first time yeah. it doesn't go well, and he's like, ah, how do I use this thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, you get an invisibility cloak, you're gonna use it. Oh, I'm not even waiting till the yeah. evening. I'm chucking, no. it on, I'm chucking it on and just like poking Ron in weird places and being like, haha, I gotcha. I'm on this side now. And then running around the yeah. dormitory and then going and like, you know, messing with Hagrid or something like knocking at his door. I'm ding dong ditching oh. Hagrid. Oh, I'm bothering Percy for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not even waiting till the evening. Like, I'm just going to let Ron know that I have this thing on and he can just be jealous and whatever. I'm 11. I have superpowers now. Yeah. <laughs> Right, like it's imagine yeah. like you're 11 and all of a sudden you wake up and you're Spider-Man. You're just web slinging everywhere for no reason. Yeah. You're shooting, like you're just shooting Ron against the wall and holding him there with webs. You're like, ha <laughs> idiot. And then like running around the castle. Like, yeah. Well, it'd be so traumatic for Ron. He's so scared of spiders. Right, but you're like, again. But, sorry, I get what I, you're If saying. I was an 11 year old, I'm not worried about like, and Harry doesn't know that yet. He learns that later, so. Yeah, he'd do it. He'd do it, absolutely. All right, after this, though, we got a slightly more uh, triumphant success. 
not even he accidentally stumbles into it but on his escape route people are looking for him and he's invisible but uh jk takes the time to make sure that we know that or at least harry harry is very sure of this fact even though he has no reason to confirm it that having the cloak on does not stop you from being solid which makes perfect sense it just makes you invisible but i don't think he actually knows this he just intuits it anyways he's touched a few doors and picked up a few books right right yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I was just thinking of it from one way because it's magic. Like, how do how do I know that like yeah. you 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 can still touch solid objects, but solid objects can't touch you? Yeah. Like, because like we, just sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was just we we're just about to look at magic. Like the mirror is able to see the intent of a person. Like I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. You're right though. It it is. He doesn't specifically know it because I guess he was reaching out of the cloak to grab things. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't like touching. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not sure that he knows this, but he seems pretty confident. Anyways, he stumbles yeah. into the room with the mirror of Erised, which I forgot is huge. This thing mm-hmm. is sitting on like claws and it reaches up to the ceiling. In the movie, mm-hmm. it's like a normal sized mirror. Just a slightly yeah. tall, like a mirror you'd have in a walk in closet or like an ensuite. It's a bigger yeah. than normal mirror, but this thing is massive, the one that is in the books. Mm hmm. Which I think, like, a good way to signify importance in, I guess, in children's books is scale. The bigger right. something is in in size, you can generally intuit that it must be important. Except so. for the main <laughs> object in this story, which we already yeah. know is like in a package. Like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I liked the description of the mirror. Although I will, I will admit, I was about to criticize the backwards writing. Oh, I have that in here too. That was my next note. Yeah, because I, I was literally in the process of typing that I thought that that was maybe a little lazy, or it could have been been in Latin, which would be in keeping with how magic works. But then when I thought about it again, I realized that if you looked at that writing in a mirror, you'd see what it said. Yeah. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I I go back and forth with how much I like this little puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. I, for an embarrassingly long time into my adult life, thought this was Latin. And I was just like, because uh, I, I just skipped over it. I was like, oh, there's the Latin. Like, I just never, right? Because mm-hmm. I just knew the said part was desire spelt backwards, right? Yeah. But I didn't know the rest of it was, right? And so I just like, as I'm reading it, I just skip over because I'm not, I'm not, pronouncing every word out the 19th time i read this book right i'm like oh it's the latin bit and then i just move on it was only like maybe last reread that i actually realized that the whole thing is the puzzle so i think for kids Mm -hmm. like i was definitely an adult who'd read this book multiple times uh before i realized that was not latin now to be fair i'm not someone who studied latin i'm sure someone who knows anything about latin would pick that up right away but it worked on me as an adult in terms of it actually was a puzzle so mm-hmm. I think it works out on the whole, even though it is a little bit lazy in concept. Yeah, I think once I realized that Arizet was desire backwards, I didn't realize that right away. When I figured it out, I went back to see if I could figure out what it what it meant, and I did. But I think I, I had that in my brain that there were like puzzles to solve. Did you ever read Artemis Fowl? I did not. Okay, so in Artemis Fowl, there are hidden messages written in, I think elvish but it might be gnomish 
And it's just, it's a one for one code for letters in the English alphabet. So there's 26 symbols and 26 letters. And you can build a code based on translations that happen in the book. And then if you take the time, you can translate the text along the top of each page to get like a fun little Easter egg. And so I had that in my mind when I was reading this. I'm like, I can figure this out. But I think if you, you hadn't experienced that in a book before, you might not have the immediate instinct to go back. Yeah, she also does a very clever job. Like, it's not just the words. Like, the words aren't separated the same. So you have bits of mm -hmm. words that are together with other bits of words. Like, you and your mm -hmm. brain have to go and do the cutting off of the words. So it's not like it's not like a one-for-one, word-for-word thing. It is backwards, mm -hmm. but the words are combined together in weird ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I think she gets away with it, and it makes sense with being backwards and being a mirror. Ultimately, I think it's it's really suiting, and I don't have too many complaints about it. <laughs> Perfect. Harry then, without really realizing what the mirror does, expects to see himself, freaks out because he sees other people in the mirror, looks behind him, they're not there. So he realizes very quickly, based on the physical appearance of the people in the mirror, that he is seeing his family for the first time, and I'm going to let you know... This scene never stops being any more emotional than the last time. It's more emotional every time I read it. It never stops hitting me right in the feels. Like this kid who's never seen his family is just seeing him for the first time. That's gotta. That's gotta feel some kind of way. Yeah, because I don't even know that he knows what they look like. No, this is him discovering what they look like. Yeah, I think it's so... pretty like in the books. He re he's realizing based on the eyes and the hair and everything that this is the first time he's seeing them. Period. Yeah, which makes it even sadder that, you know, like, Petunia doesn't have one picture of her sister in her house. And it's the first, and so that makes, it just makes it hit so much harder. And, yeah, and and she phrases it in the book that he feel, he feels like a half joy, a half terrible sadness. And I I think that's pretty much exactly the correct way to put it, because... You feel so good that he's, you know, seeing his whole family for the first time. But it is so sad. Like, Lily is crying. And it's it's just an emotional scene. Yeah, you... Right, because it... Like, when you, you're at, like, a situation of zero. And a hundred would have mm -hmm. been, like, just living and growing up with his family. And you're at mm -hmm. zero. And so you get back up to, like... 20 or 30 right like you're at least able to see them and like they're like moving around and interacting a little bit but you can't you can't have that 30 without being reminded that you it's an absolute travesty that you're not up at 100 yeah right and so you can't have that little bit of happiness without that whole bit of sadness all over again and it just it's incredible like if it's mm -hmm. if you wrote a book for 11 year olds and it's still emotionally hitting like a 27 year old who's read this book 50 times, then, then you're doing something right with your writing. Cause this just, it, it never stops. It never stops. Yeah. I don't quite cry, but it never stops bringing the old tear behind the eye. That's what I'll say. about yeah. it. Yeah. And I think what I didn't really give much to when I was a kid, but hits me now is she just says it in a line. He sits there for hours. Yeah. He's incensed. He doesn't even know what time it is. I brought, I have notes about this when he goes with Ron. Um, yeah. But yeah, he just like, and this makes perfect sense. Like he's incensed. He cannot, he cannot think of anything else. He doesn't care about Flamel. He doesn't care about Quidditch. Like this is all he wants to do, which is even more heartbreaking, mm -hmm. but also makes perfect sense. Like, wouldn't we all? Yeah. Like, so yeah, absolutely incredible stuff. Like having this impact him 
in that way. It makes perfect sense. And it also sets him up to, to learn a really valuable lesson from Dumbledore, I think, in a mm-hmm. way that doesn't feel like forced or contrived in a way that feels like exactly what would happen. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, just very, very emotional stuff here. Yeah. And I, I had, I had forgotten just as a quick note that he actually sees about 10 people in the mirror. So he sees all of his relatives too. And it, it just made me even more sad because the more I think about it, like how is there not like a half cousin or a second cousin or a stepson that like has some relation to the Potter family that would have wanted to meet Harry, but no, everyone on James's side of the family is gone. And so they're in the mirror and, and that, that hit me really hard too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just very emotional stuff. Very good writing sets Harry up to learn a, a pretty big lesson by the end of the chapter. One of the most quoted parts of Harry Potter in general is coming up at the end of this chapter. So uh, mm-hmm. just very, very good stuff. Him going back uh, to tell Ron about this is JK does a really good job of injecting just the slightest bit of humor into the situation. So you're not just like wallowing in your misery for the entire end of this chapter here and it's just ron being 11 like kind of like how he's like go tell your dentist parents about nicholas (laughs) flamel right he's just very blunt he goes and like harry's like hey you can see your family and i can see your family ron's like you can just see them at christmas next year or whatever or like during the summer but also then ron goes maybe it only shows dead people and it's like like, thanks ron (laughs) awesome stuff like you just imagine (laughs) you just imagine him saying it like that like it's not like sincere it's not kind it's just like yeah maybe the mirror only shows dead people harry won't show my family let's go to charms class like yeah but it's not like it's not the way malfoy says it at the start of the chapter which is mean but it's still like that that lack of like it's a hard thing to say and he doesn't know because it's complete lack of awareness just complete lack of awareness i just imagine him saying it very nonchalantly like he didn't even think about it yeah but it's, I think I it's meant to come off as a little bit funny. Like, just a little bit. Like, yeah. not too much. Not that it takes you out of the emotion of the rest of this chapter, but enough that you mm-hmm. get a moment you're like, ah, oh, get out of here, Ron, before you jump back into it. Yeah. I do like how perceptive Ron is, though. Like, he really quicks up, uh, picks up quickly that something is off about Harry. It, like... Maybe Harry's not being subtle at all, but Ron knows. I also think like on Christmas break with your only friend that you have to spend a hundred percent of your time with, you'd know pretty quick if moods are changing. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that. I think that's Ron true. is also being set up here to notice a mood change just based on like how they're interacting with each other on this winter break. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Harry, I can see it. Okay, Harry takes Ron to the mirror, and whoa. Mm. It doesn't show Ron his family. It shows Ron as head boy, captain of the Quidditch team, holding a bunch of trophies. Um, I don't know if this is the best point in the story to go over kind of Ron's character progression, but it's worth talking about a little bit here that Mm -hmm. Ron, Dumbledore is going to explain it by the end of the chapter, but Ron just wants to be important to somebody for something. You know what I mean? He just wants to be good at something that's not what his brothers were good at. He just wants to have... He just comes from a big family and wants to stand out and wants to be his own person and not compared to his brothers all the time, which, while yeah. not as emotional as Harry's situation, is just very realistic, it, very true to being 11 years old, a very kind of common thing that a lot of people feel. And I think there's just a lot of good stuff for Ron's character development here. 
Yeah, and I think it's important that Dumbledore spells it out. Because if you just look at it on the face, he looks like he's kind of just, I don't know. A bit of a narcissist? <laughs> bit of a narcissist, bit of a, like, ambitious, maybe a little selfish. It's It's not, you're just like, oh, he just wants everything. He just wants to win everything i don't know if i ever read it that way maybe because dumbledore's explanation comes in the same chapter but also because he's also because he's in gryffindor like you kind of like that Mm -hmm. being sorted into the houses well presented like it's a weird because it's presented as if it's not absolute and harry gets to choose gryffindor or whatever but actually Mm -hmm. within the canon of the books never seems to get anything wrong right people usually end up where they're Mm -hmm. meant to be and so maybe yeah. it's just like he's in Gryffindor and when you're 11, that's the good guy's team. Like, I don't know if I mm-hmm. ever kind of read this as like Ron being selfish or whatever, because he's just one of the good guys. So you don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's important that it happens so quickly after. So there's no chance for you to really form your own opinion of it without that extrinsic knowledge. Right. Ron and Harry then, in the most relatable moment ever, start fighting <laughs> over this awesome, super powerful object, which yeah. I, I find fun because Ron doesn't want to use or fight over the cloak at all. Right. Because yeah. like, uh, it's like there's there's clear morals. You're like, OK, that definitely belongs to Harry. I saw that being given to him and addressed to him. So I don't get to use that. But this mirror is just hanging out in this room. And I have just now that Harry showed it to me. We are equal footing here. I'm going to use this mirror, too. And I just thought that that Mm -hmm. was like a a very fun little bit of competitive spirit. And of course, it's like a superpower object that shows you the thing you'd most want to look at. Of course, you'd be fighting over it. You want to look at it. Yeah, it makes sense. Dumbledore Mm -hmm. comes in on the third night. Uh, Harry goes again mm-hmm. for a third time, and Dumbly's on to something. Dumbly knows that he's been doing this. He says in a throwaway line that I want to know your thoughts on. I don't think this ever comes up again, that mm-hmm. I don't need a cloak to become invisible. Does Dumbledore ever use this knowledge or magic at all to do anything cool? I imagine him fighting Voldemort at the end of book five would have been better if he was invisible the whole time. I didn't take it so literally. It makes me think this is a super dumb connection but it makes me think of like guardians of the galaxy 2 where drax is like i have this superpower where if i move where if i hold completely still nobody can see me ah uh, like he's just good at lurking like he's just mastered yeah. the art of like sitting behind the scenes kind of like penelope from bridgerton just kind of mastered the art of lurking on the sidelines yeah without being noticed yeah, it's 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 there's there's tricks and ways of making yourself unnoticed, and I think it's just one of those ways that Dumbledore point, points out to us. Like, there's more to human nature than just magic. You can trick people without magic. You know, I don't need a spell to make you not see me because I know how you work. Right. I've always read it very literally. I like your take a lot better. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna your take is now the head cannon. That I'm going with, because that makes way more sense. Because I was like, if we're establishing Dumbledore can just be invisible, then he's got to mm-hmm. use that at some point. Right. I imagine, like, he's a good enough wizard. He probably does have some way of camouflaging himself, but um, you're right. I think that would be really OP if he actually used it. Right. As if he's not OP enough. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's already OP. All right. Uh, yeah. But the bit of knowledge and wisdom he dumps on uh, Harry and 11 year olds around the world uh, is mm-hmm. it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. A line that I think just perfectly sums up uh, what Harry needs to hear in these books that I think, you know, give or take, I, I, I think it's a line that 
um, you can apply to life pretty easily. Like, I don't know if it's perfect advice, but it is always good to like, remember like, Hey, you're only going to be here for a certain amount of time, right? The time varies, but it's, it's, a, it's a finite amount. It's not infinite. Um, so don't always be looking at the next thing ahead of you, uh, and forget to live in the moment. Cause eventually there will be no next thing ahead of you and you'll have regretted not appreciating the things that you had along the way, which I just think is good life advice. I just think that's good advice for anyone. So Dumbledore coming in hot mm. with the, the truth bombs. Yeah. Inspiring yearbook quotes around the world. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> think about that. Uh, I used I used a different Harry Potter quote from my yearbook. Quote. You used a Harry Potter quote in your yearbook. Which one was it? I did. Um, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's from the King's Cross scene. I think it's, um, it's not why, why, um, of course it's all happening in your head. Why wouldn't it be real? It wasn't that one. Oh, that's what I, I was just going to say. That's the one I remember from that scene. I think it was, it was the one about power. Oh, and, cool. And power, not, those best suited to powers and power are not the ones who seek it but those who have it thrust upon them and bear the mantle with honor or something like that, something similar to that. Gotcha. I was a really obnoxious teenager. <laughs> That's a good yearbook quote. It's not any better or worse yeah. than any of the yearbook quotes from the kids I went to school with. Yeah. What is, I can't remember I what I did for mine. Oh my goodness. It wasn't a Harry Potter quote. It should have been a Harry Potter yeah. quote. I So I played a game with my friends. So we were good friends with the yearbook editor. Her name was okay. Caroline and she is... Just one of the best humans I ever met. She's very, she just has a great sense of humor. She's very funny. She's very personable, right? She kind of like lives in the weeds, has a little, like is, is cool with all kinds of humor. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? And so it's just like a very, just brings a good vibe to any social group of people. And so mm -hmm. me and my friends played a game where we kept submitting. She was in charge of the yearbook, which is strange because you wouldn't have pinned her as that type, but she's just very good at it. Mm -hmm. And we kept submitting it to submit the quotes to her for approval before they went into the book and you yeah. have to do this by like filling out forms and giving them to her. And so me and my friends just tried to find like, what was the most inappropriate thing that we could say that she would allow. And <laughs> it just became a game of who could who like, right. And so like, we, like, I just remember having like 15 rejected yearbook quotes that were progressively <laughs> less inappropriate until she accepted one. But I can't remember what I landed on, but I didn't win. It was like me and my five friends or whatever that were having a competition. And then we just asked other people who they thought won. And I didn't, so it wasn't that inappropriate. But it was very fun. It was a fun yeah. game. <laughs> that yeah, I wish I had I had been more collaborative in mine. My brother had a good one. He quoted The Office. Although I don't remember which episode it was, but The Office was still really good at that point. It hadn't gotten into kind of the season seven, season eight of uh, shenanigans. Fair if anyone enough. else used Harry Potter in your yearbook quotes, let us know what you used. Oh, that's a good Gmail too. Hit up the old Gmail. I'm sounding like an old man. Hit up, <laughs> hit up the Gmail with your yearbook quotes, please. If they were Harry, you know what? They could just, if you want to put a non Harry Potter related one, I'll read it. I don't know if I'll bring it up on the <laughs> podcast, but I'll read it. So just, if you have Harry Potter related or just even pop culture related, do you want to expand it? Pop culture related. Sure. You and yeah, I are, you and I are fans of, very various pop culture things yeah so if it's harry potter <laughs> the office or game of thrones or whatever just let us know man that's a fun yeah. bonus episode what quote from game of thrones i know exactly what quote it is sorry oh i know exactly what quote from game of thrones i'm putting in your book oh, it's no. it's Tyrion. It? it's Tyrion's. why can't we have a god of tits and wine <laughs> 
Like that, do... that is that is my favorite Game of Thrones quote. It's my favorite quote from a television show. It's just so funny and like you just in that moment but... you relate to Tyrion so much and you're like, yep, that that sounds like oh. paradise, doesn't it? Tyrion would have been a great Greek though. Oh, he would have loved just had Dionysus. Yeah. <laughs> because they do have a god of wine. Right, that's right. But there's that line mm. in that moment, in that season of that show is just like yeah. peaked you know i was like 21 or whatever i was like this is perfect this is the best line yeah. in any tv show it just i'll never forget hearing that line for the first time iconic stuff yeah i know what i'd use now but i don't think it would fly if i were underage right so my other Tyrion line this is um that's what i do i drink and i know things that's a good one yeah that's the thing is mine would actually make it into a yearbook so maybe it's an invalid pick caroline yeah. would have rejected that yeah, I wonder how many appropriate quotes there are for Game of Thrones. Right, I have. Okay, this is a whole thing. I have a, <laughs> I have a, I have a Shea quote that I would put on a poster in Times Square if it would be allowed. If I was a billionaire, I, I think if I was a billionaire, a fun game I would play is just which quotes from Game of Thrones are appropriate enough to go in Times Square. Oh, well, Shea says a lot of inappropriate. What did she say? I'm not gonna say it on this podcast. I, <laughs> okay. It's that inappropriate that, like, just in uh, case, just in case, there's like a tween who's like old enough to listen yeah. to this podcast and deal with like you and I do a little bit of swearing. You know what I mean? Mm. I just don't want that person to be in trouble. Uh, we found the threshold. Yeah, that's <laughs> too much. Like this, adult, I do put an adult content warning at the top of this podcast, but I am just aware that you know that doesn't actually block younger people from listening to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. want to be responsible for them asking what the quote I have in mind means. <laughs> I just don't want to have to explain what the quote means, so I'm not going to. That's fair. <laughs> That's All right, I will send it to you separately from this, though, because it is okay. it is the that unlike Tyrion's line is so wild that this was said in a TV show. That, anyways, <laughs> all right, Game of Thrones says you know exactly what I'm talking about because you n- will never forget hearing that. Okay, yeah. Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> so Dumbledore. <laughs> this is a Harry Potter podcast. Okay, uh, Dumbledore comes in with the truth bomb. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Um, Harry is the very end of this chapter. He's very perceptive, a rare moment of perception mm-hmm. from Harry that we don't often get even up until mm-hmm. like book six or seven, like the whole plan in book five goes wrong specifically because Harry's not very perspective and is still, you know, mm-hmm. not looking at the forest for the trees and those types of things. So a rare moment of departure from Harry where he asks Dumbledore what he sees. Dumbledore says, you know, a pair of woolen socks. People insist on giving me books, which as an adult, relatable. Dumbledore needs some socks, probably does not need any books. He's the smartest person alive. Um, but for Harry to realize that that wasn't a truthful answer because it had been a rather personal question, just every time it hits, I'm like, Harry, rock star, so good. Yeah, I thought he... so much of Harry's life would have been easier if he had that sense about Dumbledore more often. <laughs> Right, yeah, or just if he was perceptive about anything else ever. I really think this is the last time that we get super perceptive Harry. I think it's the first time. I think it's the last time. I think there are very few times from here on out, right? Because like later, he's just like once he becomes a teenager. Obviously, in book five, he's just annoying the whole time, which makes perfect sense for his character. Um, If I was a super traumatized fifteen-year-old with the you know a mass murder trying to kill me at all times. I would be pretty mm-hmm. stressed and, you know, on edge. Oh, but yeah. then, like, yeah. there's no... pretty Like, as soon as as soon as soon um, Ron is finishing up with Lavender Brown, he's like, just dump her, idiot. And it's like, okay, well, that's <laughs> not very emotionally thoughtful, is it, Harry? Right? Like, I think this is the last time. I mean, like, says the guy going after a girl whose boyfriend died with no, like... Right. 
how is the kiss uh, it was wet it was, like, ew. <laughs> like like you know what i mean like this is the uh, first and last time we get this from harry i'm standing by true. that if it happens uh, again yeah. i'll call it out but this is the most emotionally perceptive harry is in all seven of these books until the very end that's fair i think yeah i think you might be right <laughs> Perfect. All right. Do you have any more general notes on this chapter before we get into the winners? Okay, I have a few, so bear with me. Go for it. Okay, first, I just have to... It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Obviously a big line, but I love how poetic Dumbledore is in his diction when he's speaking one-on-one to someone. I think we get a lot of experience with the whimsical side of him, and he's kind of lighthearted. But this is the first time in the book I think we get to see that really he's quite a man of substance. And I think he keeps on that that kind of poetic way of speaking throughout the books. And I think it's just attention to detail that some characters' speech patterns would be different. Um, you know how some writers, everyone just kind of talks the same way because it's the way that the writer talks, so it feels natural to write it? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just like the attention to detail that Dumbledore is, you know, very wise, very educated, very soulful. And he speaks that way, and I appreciate it. He also speaks in a way an 11-year-old can understand. Like, it's not complicated. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mess around. He gets to the point, but in a way that still feels like he's read you a novel. Yeah. Yeah, like, you've you've been learned. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Especially, yeah. like, you can just easy comparison to how she writes Hagrid and his speech. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah. It's I it just it just helps build the world and it's an attention to detail that I appreciate and you know I've, I've read a few not so great books in my day where all the characters speak exactly the same and it it really takes you out so I appreciate that about uh, about J.K.'s characters. Um, okay, this is just a one sentence thing, but like right at the end of the chapter, Harry goes to go to bed and he has to push Scabbers on his pillow. So my question is, why was Peter Pettigrew? on harry's pillow what were you doing that's fucking, weird it's fucking weird rachel like that's just it i don't think you need to overstate. <laughs> he's just a weird guy like, yeah. I don't, he's been a rat for 20 years he's, yeah it's he's... not going so well also why doesn't he just run away and like live in the streaking shack and just not be a rat and just like come back during the school yeah. day? like what why do you stay a rat the whole time just go England's a big place, and there's only yeah. a thousand wizards. Like, just go to a field somewhere and just be yourself. Just go in the Muggle world, or like, yeah. why does he stay with the Weasleys? Right, like at this why point, yeah. Because in book four, he's very prominent in helping Voldemort come back, but in this book, he's yeah. just he's still being a rat. Like, just go be yourself just, in a field somewhere for a little bit. You could you could be a rat anywhere. Like, why are you here? But you can also be a human in most places. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's not a lot of wizards. Yeah, and I don't think there's, like, an Interpol. Like, just go to Spain or something, dude. Live your life. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah go hang. Yeah, you're right. There's no wizard Interpol. Go you're... to the Riviera. Like... <laughs> right, but they also, like, they don't even, even crazier. I guess him being dead is why they think Sirius did it. But as a side note, they don't yeah. even think you committed the crime. So you wouldn't even trigger an Interpol because you'd go to Spain, yeah. you'd just be yourself, and then you just like come up with a new name and like you're not connected with the crime at all at this point. Yeah. Other you're than just other than you were a murder statistic. Like that's where Peter Pettigrew is. Yeah. I guess like you'd want to avoid the Order of the Phoenix. But that just means you have to get out of England. And we know that's super easy to do. Maybe right. less easy now because Brexit, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, this is but... <laughs> this is like twenty years of Brexit. 
Yeah. Do you think the wizards were mad? Do you think the wizards are like, oh man, why like this sucks? I want to be able to try. Taxes on my imported broomsticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what we haven't discussed is that Nimbus is actually a French company. Uh, Le Nimbus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, oh boy. Okay. okay. I loved your. I loved your. I loved you. your topic. I, I want to Thank talk you. about your topic very quick. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to intro it, but what? No, what is... sorry, I had to find it because I had another question I wanted to ask you. <laughs> oh, cool. Do that first, and then we'll go to your your kind of discussion topic. Okay, very quickly, uh, what do you think Dumbledore actually sees in the mirror? Oh, this is the same. This is the discussion topic I was talking about. I think I know. Oh. The, I think I know the answer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I see two possibilities, but why don't you go first? You go first because one of your two <laughs> possibilities I think is the correct answer. Based on like okay. the actual text of the book. So I think I know. Yeah. So I think we know a lot about Dumbledore from the book holistically, the books holistically. So I think if we perceive Dumbledore as more of a ambitious man who wants like more, more like he was. So maybe this is what he would see when he was younger, when he was more, you know, not power hungry, but he wanted to be powerful. I think he would see him having collected all of the Horcruxes, defeated Voldemort, and has uh, possession and control over all the Deathly Hallows. Um, but then I think if we think of him as more of a more of how we see him after he passed as a man who's lived a life with a lot of regrets, um, I think he would see. Ariana as a grown woman standing with him and Grindelwald who never had his fall from grace and Aberforth uh, has forgiven him and they have a happy family. So I think there's two possibilities based on I think, kind of what aspect of Dumbledore we want to focus on. So I think that, well, I'm positive it's not actually confirmable. But I think based on what happens in book seven, that I think it's option two. Because at the end of book six, uh, Dumbledore mm -hmm. drinks the potion and goes through all that stuff. Yeah. Harry doesn't know what he's seeing, but knows it's bad. But then in mm -hmm. book seven, when Aberforth kind of accosts Harry and be like, this man never cared about anyone but himself, Harry then thinks, like Harry then defends Dumbledore to be like, no, 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 I saw him drink this potion. He was thinking about Ariana because at this point he's learned about it. So based mm -hmm. on what Harry perceived Dumbledore as thinking during the potion later, I believe the potion just works in reverse to the mirror in my head. Okay. Whereas like the mirror shows you it and it's nice and it's pleasant and you're, you know, you're, you can be remorseful, but it's not like actively trying to kill you. Whereas the potion, it's probably the same thing for Dumbledore. But in this case, it's like bringing back the memory in like a terrible way. But I think it mm -hmm. either way, I think it must be the same thing from the potion or the mirror. So I'm going to go with the yeah. option B. Okay. Ariana. I don't know if I'd see Grindelwald there, though. I think maybe just Ariana and maybe his mother. Yeah. I I threw Grindelwald in because I, I did just watch the the third, like the the third Fantastic Beast, so it's in my mind, I think, that he had regrets that that relationship ended like it did. Um, Not not in the sense, like not, not in any romantic sense, because I know that we only learned about that way after. I think he has regrets that the friendship fell out and Grindelwald went the way that he did. So that that was just my thought. But he would definitely see Ariana. 
Right. All right. Chapter winners. I, for the first time, had a true <laughs> choice to make where I okay. could not decide. Even now, I am thinking about switching my pick. But before I can even switch my pick, I'm going to give it to Harry. I'm going to give mm -hmm. it to Harry for seeing his family for the first time. Super emotional, obvious winner. However, looking just past this chapter and mm -hmm. looking into the whole story, based on my belief of how the Dumbledore plan kind of gets plotted out, mm -hmm. Dumbly's netting a giant W in this chapter. Gets Harry the cloak. Yeah. He, Harry uses the cloak exactly how he hoped he would. Gets him to the mirror that he's going to need to know about. And then is able to drop this truth ball on Harry. You know what I mean? Like, I think for Dumbledore, yeah. this is also a huge win. I'm going to lock it in for Harry. I don't know if this is an emotional choice versus, like, an actual sensible choice. But Harry wins this chapter. Locked in. Final answer. Okay. Well, I agree with you. I see your point about Dumbledore. Uh, I think he, he does make big steps in this chapter. I think he'll win a few chapters later on. So I don't feel too bad taking this one from him. But I think... This was a really up and down chapter for Harry, like his first ever actual Christmas that he spends with people that he cares about. And then, you know, um, he gets to see his family for the first time and but somehow also manages to pull himself away from the mirror. He has that restraint. So there's a little bit of growth there. It's very sad. Like the the. If you think more, the more and more you think about what he's experiencing when he's sitting at the mirror, the more sad it gets. But um, yeah, I do think Harry has to take this one. There's growth and this chapter is significant for him. But I do have to give an honorable mention. I love a good honorable mention to Ron and the Weasleys for being there for him, for Harry and just like absorbing him into their family for the Christmas. I didn't even think about an honorable mention and Ron. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I guess Ron also gets, I guess, and I got, you know, I'm not going to cheat. I had an honorable mention for Dumbledore. I'm not also going to give one to the Weasley <laughs> or else I would just honorable mention everyone, every chapter everyone, in this podcast. Yeah. It'd be like a thousand hours. <laughs> All right. I'm going to limit myself to one. I gave it to Dumbledore already. Um, okay. Your winner for the place thing, concept theme, etc. Soon to be named thing, possibly never named. I don't know. Okay. So uh, I, Saw yours first, and I had to. I wanted to think of something different because I didn't just want to double up on you. So I went for the concept of being and feeling seen. Um, I think. Okay, I'm just gonna read what I wrote from the notes so I don't muck it up. But I think <laughs> it's a. <laughs> I think it's a nice contrast in a chapter that centers on Harry's new ability to be invisible that a lot of the characters in the chapter really start to see him for who he is and appreciate him. Like the Weasleys bring him into their fold. Um, Hagrid and Hermione had the forethought to prepare presents for him. Um, and then Dumbledore also has that first one-on-one -on -one with Harry for the first time. And then you also get the side note of like actually getting to see his family for the first time. So I think that it's it's a little bit of a reach to say it encompasses everything, but I think um, for for this chapter, I just had to pick the idea of being and feeling seen. For those of you who email and let me know that we don't do any actual analysis on this podcast, that was it. You can stop <laughs> writing your email. Well done, Rachel. Never even thought about the contrast between it. absolutely brilliant analysis. Ah, oh, that's a better. Actually, that's a better winner. 
I like I mine. I use that English degree for something. <laughs> I like your winner. All right, I just went really lazily with the quote. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. For all of the reasons I mentioned about the quote earlier, uh, I just cheated and picked like one of the top five most iconic lines from the, the book. I don't. Just I when don't it came up cheating. as the winner, that's cheating. But it, Icon I, iconic is iconic, man. Yeah, it's, it's a top five line. Right? Yeah. Like, this isn't the top five chapter, I don't think, but it's a top five line for sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just poetic. I could, I could talk about it more. It's just poetic. I love it. All right. Well, that does it for our analysis or lack thereof, <laughs> or very in depth at the very end there. Uh, that's it for our analysis of chapter 12, The Mirror of Aristide. Uh, catch us next time for chapter 13, which I don't know the title of off the top of my head. But it'll be more Hogwarts with our favorite friends, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and it's going to be awesome. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. We will be back in your feeds next week with chapter number 13. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a rating and review somewhere, preferably your favorite podcatcher of choice. We love to get those reviews. It helps get the podcast out to more people. All in all, huge win-win. Would appreciate it if you could do that. Check the show notes below for all of the places and email addresses and Twitters and all of that stuff if you want to interact with us on there. We would love to... Rachel just loves the emails. She would love to read your emails. So if you want to send emails... Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com would be awesome. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next one.